and welcome back to Focal Point, the IMV Imaging Podcast. I'm Harriet, your host, and I'm pleased to be joined by the other members of the clinical team. So a big hello to Sam. Hi, everybody. And we have Bethany, our clinical radiographer. Hi, everyone. As always, we're going to be chatting about a topic related to the field of diagnostic imaging. And this month, we're discussing more about the role of the veterinary radiographers. As the need for their skills within veterinary hospitals has become greater, veterinary radiographers are now an essential part of the imaging team. With this, I'm thrilled to welcome Sam to the podcast. Sam is a senior radiographer at Burgess Diagnostics, who provide mobile veterinary CT and MR services across the UK and Ireland. Sam is a qualified radiographer, having graduated from the University of Cumbria and has previously spent a number of years working as a radiographer within the NHS before transferring over to veterinary. So thank you for joining us and welcome to the podcast. Thank you very much. Hello, everyone. So I know I've just given a really brief overview about your career, uh, but is there any chance you could tell us more about your career as a radiographer so far and how you happened to come over to the veterinary side of things? Yeah, so um, yeah, I qualified as a radiographer uh, back in 2011 um, and then I joined the NHS there um, and then I transferred into veterinary only a couple of years ago. Um, yeah, and I absolutely love working with animals now, um, more than humans. <laughs> so before we move on any further, and this is a question to Bethany as well, can we just define the difference between a radiographer yeah. and a veterinary radiographer? Because until recently, I didn't actually realise that one wasn't the other. Yeah, I think probably the biggest difference is um, me and Sam both have a qualification. So we're both diagnostic radiographers. So we studied in university, primarily focusing on plain film. Um, whereas the title veterinary radiographer isn't a protected title. So it's something that veterinary nurses can adopt as a title if they have any experience in imaging. It's not under recognised terms. So when you're a diagnostic radiographer and you work within the hospitals, we obviously have to be registered in, in making sure we've got our insurance as well. Um, but radiographer in itself, diagnostic radiography is a protected term. So that's, that's the main difference, really. No, perfect. That's good to know. And starting off, what is the role of the radiographer within a veterinary imaging team? So I, I guess the main difference for me is... Um... Obviously, you have a little bit more to do with the animals being um, anaesthetised, obviously, um, generally humans, unless they're claustrophobic for MRI scans, don't go under GA. So obviously, you've just got to be a bit more involved with that side of thing. But obviously, you always work with the vets and the nurses. Um, and then um, I guess I think you work a bit more on your own as a veterinary radiographer. Um I mean, in my job, I do anyway at Burgess. Um, so you've kind of got to be able to make decisions on your own, whereas back in the hospital, you always had someone kind of sat behind you, you know, if you needed to check anything. So I guess you've got to be able to make um, decisions on your own, really. And I think that's really nice, isn't it, In in the when you come from the NHS, which is like yeah. there's such a system of how to do it. You know, the referral comes in, then it either goes to a veterinary, um, a veterinary uh, reporting, no, no, no. It either goes to um, a radiologist or it will go to a um, radiographer who has learned how to vet and they're normally higher up. 
um, and then they kind of tell you what scans to produce, what sequences to run, what they want to see. Whereas in veterinary imaging, it's normally you normally have a case and you'll talk about it with that particular vet, and either that vet has good knowledge and understands, or they just go, "We trust you entirely." So as a radiographer, being able to make those decisions and have that autonomy to decide what's best to show which pathologies is really nice to have that. And like you say, Sam, I think that's probably the nice thing because you can actually bring the skills that we've honed from working from the NHS and go, oh, I know what to run for this. I know how to display this better. And that that's a really nice feeling, being able to use your degree very well. Yeah. And how comparable is it, you know, going from being human radiographers to now coming over to veterinary radiographers? I know pretty much the anatomy of dogs and cats is reasonably similar to humans, but there are occasions when you guys are scanning the weird and wonderful, which are uh, a little bit different. Yeah, I mean, actually, um, apart from positioning animals, I didn't really struggle with the scanning, but I think that's because me and Bethany have had so much much experience and everything flung at us in the past um, that you've sort of just get on with it now. Um, but I think that is due to us having so much experience scanning. Um, yeah. Yeah, I agree. I just, the only thing that really caught me off guard, which I never really thought about, I remember doing my first scan on quite a big dog and um, my first um, survey came up. I remember looking, I was thinking, why is there so many vertebrae? Yeah. Why is there so many? And I, I was really confused. I was like, where's my standard vertebrae? There's more. What am I going to do? And then there was a tail. Um, um, but pretty much the anatomy is very, very similar. But I do remember my first time being like, whoa I was not prepared (laughs) for this Um, but you quickly adapt and like even the disease patterns although there's some diseases that are more prevalent in the dogs and cats that don't come over to the human side a lot of the stuff we look for does have a crossover so like Sam says with the experience and seeing those really abnormal cases in the NHS it does give you a good good standing ground to just be adaptable Just coming back to something you said, Bethany, you were mentioning that um, we sort of come over, you're more, you're sort of leading the service in a different way because often people will come to you with a case and it's case-based and we have to work out what kind of protocols you want to learn. Uh, For both Sam and Bethany, what are the kind of things that you would want a sort of a vet working with you to know? Is there some tips that you can give as to the way to think about these cases or the way that they should be approaching them that's useful to you or a bit of information that sort of the people don't always think to give that that would be something that would be quite helpful in those situations? Um, I think for me, um, more CT scanning, I would say. I would prefer some vets to be a bit more... um, how should I say I tend to scan a lot on CT and obviously on the human side there's a radiation factor where I don't feel like it's it's bothered about as much in veterinary so we end up scanning a lot on the dog and sometimes I think "Mm, should we have not done as much on that and so kind of vets trying to maybe figure out the problem first before asking for every single scan especially with CT scanning 
Yeah, I agree. It's 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 having as much information as possible and what they might think would be irrelevant will actually determine where the area of concern is. And I appreciate in some cases it might be like this dog's lame and we're not really sure why this dog's lame. So can we just cover the entire spine and can we have every sequence available and can we give a bit of guard? Those cases you understand. But yeah, especially in CT, I think the issue falls with referrals when they're not their specific cases. And now they'll say, oh, can we have shoulders, elbows, carpus, C-spine, brain, pre and post contrast? And you think, oh, that that's a shopping list, really. That, that doesn't really give us an area to focus on. Um, and then in the back of your mind, you're always thinking about the radiation and the contrast with the patient as well. So I think, yeah, I think if we more information, the better. If it is a referral case, I think we, we should always try and get as much as we can from the referral um, and just try and like minimise the radiation. From the MR side, although there is no known risk, we're always concerned with heating with the patient and especially with um, GA dogs and cats, the temperature can obviously not be regulated as well. They can't communicate with us. So I think sometimes I've been scanning and we have a SARS limit on the scanner and it'll be creeping up and up and up. And then it, you, you just always, you're always working against the elements. And I think sometimes if you've not worked a lot with imaging, that doesn't necessarily cross the mind, but it always crosses ours. No, that's really good to know. Do you ever find yourselves discussing cases with the, the referring vet or with the clinician, be, you know, trying to direct them towards a particular area on the animal rather than doing a full body or you know as you were listing off a shopping list there bethany would you rather say do you know what why don't we do four limbs see 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 if there is anything there see if that is the affected area and then go on to further um, investigation or because they're there anesthetized at the time is it better to do the whole ct there and then i know that's a kind of a conflicting question because they're getting obviously a bigger dose of radiation in one or is it better to have two smaller radiation doses? Yeah, I think um, the, the key to this is just good communication. And even if it, you've met the vet the first time, it's not always what you're saying, it's how sometimes you present it. So you would never want to make any other person that you're working with in a team feel like, you're doing the wrong thing, I'm going to tell you what's the right thing. It's about communicating with it and being like, Oh, so I know this is a referral and I know you think it's got elbow problems, but it's a lab, isn't it? So do you think it's probably more the elbows than it is anything else? And you, you can discuss it like that. But communication is key. And what I would say to anyone who's working in the veterinary industry with radiography is at the more questions, the better. Don't just take it for face value. And I think I don't know if you agree, Sam, but when I when we were taught in the hospital, if we ever got a referral through from A&E and it was a shopping list and you think, hmm, has this doctor actually assessed this patient correctly? We were taught to go around and communicate with the doctor and be like, oh, is this all required? You know, we, we were kind of taught that. So I think it's bread and butter when you've worked in the NHS. To, yeah, we've not from not a background. To, yeah, to question. Yeah. Yeah, we, we questioned everything. Hmm. Yeah, we we do, don't we? Yeah, and even like yeah. not, it is still prevalent in MR to do it, but in mainly with your X-rays and your CT, it's about going back and being like, because it it you know it didn't happen a lot, but in in A and E, a lot of A and E doctors, if they didn't have the time to properly assess a patient, or they were aggressive, or they had severe dementia, and it was difficult, they would just look for the images to give them the answer, whereas actually that clinical 
that their skills to actually assess the patient is really important and we rely on it quite a lot i mean it just improves overall patient care doesn't it and and the precision precision measurement yeah absolutely and i know you were saying when you're in the nhs you would have your images and then a radiologist um you know you would send the images on to the radiologist can you just describe the difference between the role of a radiographer and the role of a radiologist because i know those terms are sometimes used interchangeably and people aren't always sure what the difference is yeah, so radiographers take diagnostic images. Um, so we're mainly, although we look for pathology on them, that's not actually our job really. Um, so we're just making sure we get um, nice clear images, you know, the patient's not moving on them, um, enough so it can get a diagnosis basically. And then I guess it's a bonus if we, I guess because we do it day in, day out, you pick up on um, pathologies and stuff like that. So you can guide people, but yeah. Then the radiologist um, then reports the images. Um, and then, I mean, we use VETCT for um, our veterinary company. Um, and they, I don't know, they're all around the world reporting our images. Um, and then, yeah, they, they just get the background um, information from the vet who's referred the case, understand what's going on with the dog. And sometimes they'll ask for a bit more information. Um, and then we upload the images as well. And then they're just on a big platform then for us to all read the um, the reports back. Yeah, I think um, people do traditionally get very confused. I've been called a radiologist a lot, which is an honour because I did not do all them years in medical school and then everything after. Um, but yeah, like Sam said, that's the, that is the biggest difference. We're like the technical people who will create the diagnostic images and we have the best knowledge of the scanners and the system. And then in, in, like we're interested in our patient care as well. We are hands-on, we cannulate. Um, and then the radiologists, they'll sometimes have like a speciality so you might have like a neurosurgeon who you send all your neuro cases to and then um a breast person who you send all your breasts to like they have the specialities but the nhs in radiography is growing um especially in the human world and a lot of radiographers a lot of our old colleagues now do vetting they do reporting and that's something that you know it's been really good for radiographers to to be able to grow into into that um that role um, but that that's probably the biggest difference. It sounds like the role of a radiographer is ever evolving. Like it's just constantly changing, constantly improving on your skill set. What would you say you knew human radiographers? And there are lots of advertisements that we see in the vet record or the the online for um, radiographers to come into the veterinary world. Would you? What advice would you give them to anyone who's wanted to make the jump from NHS to, to veterinary. I mean <laughs> would you advise it? <laughs> I'm hoping you don't regret it. No, so um how I ended up in the veterinary world, I was working at a hospital and one of my colleagues found an advertisement um for Burgess and they said they said, Oh my god, Bethy, you'd love this. Look at listen to this job. This is you, you 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 know, you'd love it. And I remember going spending a day with Burgess and one of their colleagues and I just remember sitting there by myself thinking, this is so 
god and there was just animals and it's just such a lovely lovely <laughs> environment and I think it's a really rewarding job and you get to use your radiography skills a lot more um and so me and Sam have worked together previously we both trained at the same hospital and I remember ringing Sam because there was a role available and um I remember telling her all about my job and what I did and how great it was and um Sam's an animal lover um and I remember telling her and she went you're lying I said I'm not lying I'm not and she said yes you are um and then thankfully she believed me and came across and I don't know if you feel the same but it feels like it was always a bit of a missing piece of my career like I would never want to go back yeah like literally I thought it was too good to be true um when you rang me that day (laughs) um and I think I'd really really struggle to go back and work in a hospital now if I'm being honest um because who doesn't love puppy cuddles like in the day (laughs) yeah and that is really what it is isn't it it's that interaction with animals um but still being able to use your degree it's such a fulfilling job and I would say to any radiographer who's considering who has who has compassion for animals who is interested in veterinary medicine that you you can't really go wrong doing it it's it's such a lovely world to work in it's really really nice Okay, so we mentioned the sort of is is a great role, a great sort of difference to the, the kind of human role or being within the NHS. And we mentioned before the challenges with animals in terms of um, having the patients anaesthetized in order to keep them sort of still and position them correctly. What are the other sort of main challenges do you do you guys see with veterinary patients then maybe in comparison to humans what are the other maybe other challenges you didn't are there other things you didn't expect that you have to take into account or are there other things that are quite different difficult or does it seem to be the same in the way the sort of patients are handled and processed um i mean i find this job that i'm doing now much more chilled um i'm not running around day in day out absolutely knackered when i get home I guess the only downside to working in veterinary, which I I guess I maybe didn't expect, was sometimes you can um, see animals be put into sleep because obviously it's kind of, you know, whilst they're anaesthetised rather than waking them up, which really shocked me to begin. It doesn't happen day in, day out, but it still upsets me. Yeah, no, I think I, I agree with you. I remember my first PTS on the scanner um, because, the, the, like you say, they, they, they made the clients very aware that this dog was very poorly. There was a high possibility it was a really nasty spinal tumour that was inoperable. And um, it, when when they did it on the scanner and they were talking and they said, oh, it's a PTS. And I was thinking, what's a PTS? Like, I don't, what is this? And then I was really shocked. Um, but like you say, it's kinder. And it also makes you reflect back, actually, and how many patients have me and you scan Sam that we think that is probably unfair to put the patient through this yeah. they're really uncomfortable it's not going to change management it's not to change outcome um you know it, it does give you a bit of a different perspective and it is the kindest thing to do um yeah we're and I suppose the, the other big animals. difference 
Yeah, yeah, I, I agree. Yeah, and like Sam said, the only other massive difference is like the lifestyle. Like the veterinary world is very busy. There is a lot of pressure. Like it's a very, very busy industry. But in comparison to when we look back on our NHS careers, where we were doing probably similar to Harriet and and Sam doing on calls and a lot of weekends, a lot of hours. You know, our put through in the NHS sometimes was like on CT to scan like on a dual scanner, so two separate scanners, like one hundred and fifty patients a day like a patient every 15 minutes from eight to eight and then on call so it was very challenging to work and travel and then remain on the ball all the time as you're scanning whereas the veterinary world the put through isn't as much because there's either insurance queries or um you know they've not got the access to the scanners so it's definitely it's definitely not as a demanding job in that respect I was going to ask just of interest going going back to sort of the um, MRI scans for patients. You know, sort of obviously the MRI uses these hugely powerful magnets, and having any metal near them is is incredibly dangerous. Is there anything additional you have to think of with veterinary patients with that? Like I, I remember having a human MRI and having to sign various forms saying I've not had shrapnel wounds and um, metal implants and things. How do you manage that with with kind of dogs and cats? So, yeah, the thing I found the strangest um, doing MRI as a veterinary radiographer, um, the vets actually check all that before they come to the scanner, which I found really strange because I was like, oh, my goodness, um, I'm constantly doing safety questions with humans and I'm doing nothing. But, I mean, obviously, you have to check all the staff you're working with. So in the morning, uh, whenever anyone comes on the scanner, I just make sure, (laughs) double check, no one's got a pacemaker. Um, and then generally, um, the animals all seem to be okay. They don't seem to have, um, as many implants as what humans do. Um, but yeah, the vets do all that side of thing with the dog or the cat or the lion. (laughs) (laughs) I, um, yeah, I think it's the same. It's, um, you you trust the vet. And then I always probably same as you, Sam, used to verbally go back over it with the vet and be like, this dog's not, you know, he's not, you're not querying that it's been shot with a pellet because it's a rescue job from another country or, and like you, it was more the risk factors of me were more the staff that were coming on and off with, with the, with the patient. I had one incident once where somebody went to walk in with a clipboard with a metal attachment on it. And I was like, stop, stop. You just, when you're working with MR, you just have to constantly be on guard. And I'm always watching people. And I'm the same, like, I always check my pockets. You're constantly patting yourself down, like the radiographer pad down, <laughs> like you do it to yourself, checking pockets. It's just about having good communication. Um, but the only, the only risk factor with MRI in a dog is the the heating element uh, there's no known other risk so it's just more temperature control of the patient and that's temperature control of the patient rather than say in ct where we're worried about overheating the machine well so it's different so with ct it heats up because of the production of the x-rays so the heat inside the tube it can just get to a certain temperature where it's unsafe to carry on it trying to produce that energy whereas the mr it's more of a sars level so it's the heat of the patient but it has a certain amount each scanner has a certain amount of SAR level that it will accept there are ways to override it but equally you don't really want to so when you're scanning there's normally like five bars and it'll go from green 
and then it'll go into red and then it'll fill and then it'll come up with warnings and basically when you're putting that energy into the patient it just just naturally heats up over time like I don't know if anyone's had an MR I know you had an MR Sam but you, you can sometimes you can feel on patient skin you know if you're having a shoulder scan you can actually feel the temperature wow that's well, no, so this is really true. You, you mentioned there, Bethany, you said it before as well. Yeah, you're going to ask SAR. me what it is, aren't you? What, what, <laughs> I knew you were going to do yeah, what does it? what does it stand for? What does it stand for? I want to know. It's specific absorption rate. Oh, no, I know this. <laughs> Good job. You are a radiographer, my friend. You are a radiographer. I was going, uh, <laughs> Sorry, say that again. I, could, I couldn't quite... What, uh, what absorption it's, rate? It's a specific absorption rate, isn't it? Do, double check. But specific, <laughs> yeah, okay. I'm going to check. Specific absorption rate, yeah. Oh, see, Wikipedia, there we go. <laughs> you know. I mean, all I was thinking about was coronavirus. <laughs> I don't know why. Uh, Sam, you're a real radiographer. I'm going home. I'm going home. <laughs> and as met me... Coming over oh, to vet, being veterinary radiographers, um, have you seen any, I can imagine you have seen loads of interesting cases since leaving the NHS, but is there any in particular that you remember that really stick in your mind? So for me, going to the zoos is an amazing experience. <laughs> so I've scanned uh, chimps, uh, orangutans, um, lions. You've done a lion, Bethany, haven't you? Um, yeah, that's definitely the best part of the job. But I almost forget, like, yeah. oh, they're going to be poorly. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and, and what are you looking for when you're scanning apes? Um, so what did I do? The last time I went down to a zoo in Canterbury to do a chimp, and we were looking at its brain. Unfortunately, it had a brain tumour. Um, so, yeah, that was a really sad one, actually. But, um, yeah, I've done... Um, yeah, when I did a lion, we were just having a look. I was having a hearing problem, so we were just having a, having a look at its ear canals. Um, so they just needed washing out in the end. So that was a nice story. Oh, that's a nice one. Yeah, penguins, they were challenging. Yeah, they will have been. Do they, they have the yeah. really big air pockets, don't they? Yeah, so we, we ended up, we put them in a little tube because um, apparently they're not they're not too easy to um, anaesthetize. So yeah, we had to put them in a tube and really quickly scan them. Because <laughs> are they are they penguins classed as birds or are they what are they actually classed as a penguin? What species is it? A bird? They're birds. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> but they don't fly. <laughs> well, no, no, they don't. They don't. They don't fly. But neither do ostriches. Oh ostriches yeah, birds too. So they're just they're a type of flightless bird. <laughs> I am a great veterinary radiographer. I am sticking with it. <laughs> At least, I mean, there's not. It's not too no, often you come across no, penguins. No, no, I bet that was so true. interesting. The um, yeah, that was at London Zoo. That one we did loads of animals that day. It was great. That's brilliant. Such such a good experiences. I always feel like when you do the the weird and the wonderful, it's almost like you, you feel so. I don't know special to be so close to such a big dangerous animal or an endangered species or something you don't come across every day and not to say that your dogs and cats aren't lovely because they are and it's such a lovely part of the job but just you're weird and wonderful I remember with my the lion patient I was like oh my goodness like I cannot believe I'm this close to such a dangerous animal like it was it just feels really really special I think 
Well, it's just that one of those one in a lifetime opportunities. I mean, who can say in their job, you know, they they go and scan zoo animals or you know endangered species? And I feel like a lot of people would be jealous. And I was quite interested with your lion case because uh, domestic cats get a lot of like middle ear disease. So I was wondering if it's kind of extrapolated to lions getting middle ear disease as well. Um, if it if it just needed its ears kind of cleaning out or if there was just an infection down there. Yeah, maybe. Um, I can't say I, I do lions day in, day out. That's the only case I've done. So <laughs> I, I really can't answer that question. <laughs> that's okay. It's only from a general interest. But no, that's really cool. I was going to ask, we, we talk about that range of species. Um, the... In, do you get much information when you're coming from human radiography to veterinary radiography? Is there much? Is there much there about the sort of actual handling of the patients, or even just things like the slight the difference in health risks? Like, sort of, do people talk about the zoonotic diseases that you can potentially encounter, or those different conditions? Do you get much about that that kind of part, or is it just more that you you take your skills and you you're just sort of adapting to that that new that that sort of different um, patient range? Um, I think I I feel like I just learned on the job really. Um, Bethany was always at the end of the phone when I first started. I was like, "Can you help me with this?" Um, but I mean, like when I've been to the zoos and stuff, I just kind of follow whatever they do. So generally, they always put face masks on, which is very normal now anyway. Um, gloves. Um, and they're actually they're quite funny about you touching the animals, really, which I completely understand um so it's more they just want you there just to go and you know do the scans really um so yeah they're very good the staff everywhere you go at telling you kind of um like guide you on what to do with that animal as well yeah and I think it comes back to it not being like a protected title there's no like official training to become a veterinary radiographer even if you're doing the switch so this is why I do think it's important that um, if you are going to go into the veterinary world and you are going to be a veterinary radiographer, it's it's good to have a radiography background because, like Sam says, you can take all your skills that you've had through the NHS and adapt them. Whereas if you were just coming newly qualified and you had little to no experience in the NHS and then just swum into this job, I think it would be like, oh heck, well where's this and who? So there's not any formal training. You do tend to pick it up a lot, but it would be good to have something formalised, really. Um. And yeah, you rely on your team members. Sam rang me. I used to ring Sam. We used to ring um, our other colleagues and ask. Um, but I've never been warned about different diseases or things you can pick up. If there's ever a dog with anything infectious going on at the minute, they would say like, oh, make sure you put gloves for your position in. And they'd especially clean the table with the correct products. But there was no, um, there was no prior warning, I suppose. You just do learn on the job. I think that's also a good thing to note with, say, veterinary nurses that have an interest in diagnostic imaging and, you know, then specialised towards doing, you know, most of the 3D modalities is having further education for them to, you know, understand exactly what the machines do, why are we using them, what are the different positions they need to be in, um, just so that they can, you know, formally, you know, take on that role to the best of their ability. Yeah, no, I, I agree. I, um, I, I would like 
Yeah, I, th- I think it's important. I think the more radiography and the more 3D systems are used in general practice um, and the more practice it gets, I think there will be something that gets formalised as like a bit of a training log. Um, so I think only with time will it get better with that. I was I was going to ask um, Sam and Bethany, okay, so CT and MRI, which do you like better and why? I think I'd probably say MRI I find a bit more interesting um and when I was working at the NHS I had more experience in MRI so I just feel a bit more comfortable doing it um but also when I go and do CT scanning it looks blurry to me because I'm so used to MRI images (laughs) um it's really difficult that's Sam that's like asking me to pick a favourite child, which is against all the rules. Um, I like them <laughs> both, um, and I think they're both fantastic. If you had to ask me for the rest of my life, if I had to spend time on one or the other, it'd have to be CT, because the CT is where you get your trauma, your exciting cases, your, oh, this patient's come in, this has happened, we need to throw them through the CT scanner as, in the, you know, as quick as possible, in the safest way possible. I think the the fast pace has always really intrigued me about CT. And that's, yeah, if you put a gun to my head, that would be it. I, I'm clearly the one that likes to sit down and chill. <laughs> but this then. is why we work well together, because you can do that and I can do the CT stuff. Yeah. But yeah, if you had to put a gun to my head, Sam, I'd pick CT. Um, just because I, I, I like the drama that comes with CT. That's fair mm. enough. I know um, Sam asked you before about kind of... Um, like negatives or not negatives about being a veteran radiographer but are there any frustrations you find so I know when I've been out with Bethany when you're CT scanning very small patients the artifacts are so annoying so I can imagine in the human world the CTs are designed for for humans and therefore you get minimal artifacts is that something that you find quite a lot or are there other things that are that you find frustrating when comparing to the human world I mean, at the moment, um, I primarily do MRI scanning. I haven't been on the CT scanner for a long, long time. So um, I'm trying to think if I've come across that. And if the if this came to you and said, oh, can you scan this, this kitten's carpus? That would throw... Yeah, you could do it, but you still, your images wouldn't be... This weight is always... It's, it's something we fight with all the time and every every modality has got its downfalls and I think sometimes we accept that naturally because that's that's what we've taught that's what we understand how it works whereas sometimes in the veteran world someone will turn around and say can you see Tima Mouse's head and I think I can it won't be diagnostic I mean I can perform it but it's and that's where the background knowledge of being a radiographer comes in and you have to have that gubbins about you to say actually we can but it won't be diagnostic so it's not worth the radiation dose um so yeah that that can be difficult to to try and teach people on the job why it can't can't work well well, taking it taking it the other way then um is there something from human radiography like a procedure or an imaging a part of the imaging technology which hasn't made it to the veterinary side that you miss yeah, so um, I will say veterinary is very behind human medicine, I find. Um, but in a good way, there's things that I've brought to the uh, my team now that um, I'm like, oh, we do this in the human world, should we try it out? And um, 
hopefully it helps um like just new sequences and stuff that they've just not thought to use um to try and um diagnose something better yeah and and that comes with your background of working and understanding the scanners and doing those sequences day in day out um for ct i think um like Sam said, the imaging side is definitely a few years behind the, the human side. And we, we always catch up in the end. We just take a bit longer to get there and we will get there. But I really miss doing the lung biopsies, the liver biopsies, like doing with the CT scanner, using it to its, its capability, really like pushing the boundaries with it. That's something I miss because we used to traditionally do lung biopsy mornings on a Wednesday morning and we would do like five of them and that was always interesting it's almost like interventional radiography so I think that will become more prevalent as as time goes on and um, people get more confident using the scanners yeah so I used to do um cardiac MRI scanning as well which um I was really proud of myself when I mastered that and obviously I've not done that for like two years now but you never know we might end up doing it I think um these these things do gradually make their way through and and this is where when people talk about things a little bit like the sort of one health principles where it's sort of the what what sort of human medicine can learn from veterinary medicine and vice versa I think it's absolutely true to say that sort of in terms of the kind of technology and just the the sort of depth is is sort of the veterinary medicine often it does lag behind but they always see sort of do catch up and I think it's, it's there's no doubt that these things will come through to veterinary patients um in there um I was just going to ask Bethany actually when you're mentioning sort of using the CT for for biopsies just um with on that it would be quite interesting so how's how is that done so is it does it do they sort of take a ct scan and then do they sort of plan the, the sort of the, the needle or the instrument kind of entry and then do they do they then repeat the ct scan with that those things in place is it can you give a quick summary of how it works yeah so you're right so we would always do a pre-contrast um study of the chest and then locate it and the way the table is synchronized with the scanner is it's done in millimeters slices so we'll find the widest point of the tumor that we want to get the, the sample from and then you can input that into a slice move the scanner to there and then we can guide the needle in so what we tend to do is put the needle on the skin take another tiny block through where the slices are locate it and then we can go in slightly so they'll probably push the needle in halfway come back out the room scan again again just going over a few slices so it's not massive radiation when we're happy in the tumor take the sample take it out and then do you you do a post contrast chest just to make sure you're not causing any pneumothorax if you do cause a pneumothorax it's normally very small and it normally self-resolves but you can always keep the patient in and do it like 24 hours again um, but it's a really simple process and once your app specialist sets it up as a protocol it's really really good um it's it's the best way to do biopsies if you ask me in my humble opinion. It sounds really interesting. Just out of interest with the, the the needles they use for it, are they constructed differently in any way to avoid artifacts? So you know that sort of if if people maybe who don't perform CT symptoms, if you have metal artifacts, they can cause issues on CT by sort of essentially photon starvation. So sometimes they're absorbing a lot of the radiation or they're causing sort of other issues just by their presence. So I was just wondering, do do they do they have that issue with that sort of artifacts from metal metal input this sort of metal needles? 
In the human world, we used to use small needles to begin with to locate it, and then they would take it out and use the big biopsy-taking needle um, and not scan through that. But unfortunately, there's no specialised needles that can reduce the metal artefact. On some higher-end systems, there's something that you can use, which is a metal-reducing artefact, basically. It's an algorithm that you can apply to the scanners that will take that artefact away. Um Unless you're trying to biopsy like a tiny, tiny tumour, it shouldn't cause too much of an artefact. There's also things we can do to try and reduce it, but we'll never fully get rid of it. Never, Even with the, the reduction tool, if you have it on your scanner, you'll never fully get rid of the metal artefact. It's always going to be a foe in there in CT, definitely. That's really interesting. Thanks. Just to carry on from things that might not have moved over from the human world, I was just wondering if you talk a little bit about PET CT, because you always hear about PET CT in the in human medicine, but I've not actually seen it yet in the veterinary world, and whether it's something that you think will, will come over with time, or what the difference is between PET and CT, um, and, and the value it provides. So PET CT is amazing. My mum actually worked in PET CT for a few years and she really enjoys it. So it's a hybrid. So it's a hybrid scanner. And in essence, you are injecting, um, oh, what are they called? Is it radionuclide? Isotope. isotope. Well, see, better radiographer than me. You inject the patient <laughs> with an isotope. And I, then... I've never worked in PET CT. <laughs> no, me neither, me neither. But in <laughs> essence, you inject the patient and then you use a CT scanner and they, they work together to give you a more map indicator. So it's really good for um, like metastatic spread of the disease um and it also it comes up the scan so you can see like diagnostic qualities in like your bones and your tissue difference it still uses a gray scale but it also uses a color scale for it and uh, no i was just interested because i've heard of it but never heard of it in a veterinary capacity and wondered if it had come across yet yeah <laughs> do you know i wonder if, i'm sure it will yeah, it's expensive. And I suppose the argument would always be um, for humans, obviously, when they've got like a really aggressive cancer um, and say the stage four, the planning, surgical planning and chemotherapy and radiotherapy planning is really essential. Not that it's not essential in the veterinary world, but you might PTS an 11 year old dog with a really bad spread whereas if it was like a 40 year old human obviously you're going to try and do everything to ensure long lifespan so whether they would they would go for the financial aspect of it and it would have to be a radiographer who ran the scans and injected it and the isotopes are made every morning and then delivered and it's all recorded delivery and it has to be in like a specialized van and the and the person receiving it has to receive it in a special lead. This box. sounds like gamma scintigraphy. Um, yeah, and then the patient has to be sat in a in a certain room that's lead lined, and you have to keep your patient. So even when you're cannulating your patient, you have to uh, you have to keep your distance, and it's it, it's a whole different different ball game and they have to have a separate toilet and so yeah and you think back to the veterinary world and you think if the ga you can't really control if they you know if they end up urinating somewhere and but then it's got so i think it would be a minefield but i reckon it'll come across at some point for something for something i know i think i think some places do actually i'm sure some places have it like i think some of the university i think some of the university hospitals have pet cts and yeah you're, you're absolutely right it is just like um 
uh, what I was going to say is that yes, it is just like scintigraphy because you're essentially giving them a radioisotope like the technetium they need in scintigraphy, and it's the same thing. And they already have radiotherapy for things like the hyperthyroidism, so they already have the radiotherapy sort of units in place, so they will be able to introduce it as well too. So it was just those are general comments that I was like trying to think when do I sort of bring this naturally into the conversation, and then the time passed. So that's all why I was hovering, looking like I wanted to speak. Just before we finish up, have you got any wise words that you give any radiographers looking to make that jump into veterinary? Yeah, and I think it's probably just worth mentioning that, um, you know, this is a career path. It is something available to radiographers. Um, Don't ever be scared to make the jump. Uh, Me and Sam quite often say we didn't ever know about this when we were in uni. No one else really ever talked about it. Sam, I know you were involved when you did a placement in uni. Sam went to an equine place and spent some time there but apart from that I didn't know it was a career path and I'm lucky I kind of just stumbled across it but I would like radiographers you know all over if they are doing this training to know that it is a viable and really good career to get involved in. Yeah it's definitely um because obviously when I was down at the equine place when I was training, um, they didn't employ radiographers. Uh, I think it was the vets that just kind of did everything. So it's definitely something that's um, available now. Um, and like you say, Bethany, it just it wasn't a thing, was it, when we were back at uni? Um, as it even a path to go down? Yeah, absolutely. And I think, I think, yeah, don't ever be scared to make the jump. If you're interested in animals and you still want to be a radiographer, it's such a good career, such a good career. There's, there's more than one avenue to being a radiographer. And you have such a skill set. Like, you literally could just walk into the hospital and, you know, start running the the you know the 3d unit because you, you know you've got all the knowledge there ready to go well that's been really insightful thank you to bethany and sam for all the information you've shared about how vital radiographers are to the veterinary profession i'd just like to say thank you all for joining me and to all the listeners we'll be back next month for another episode of focal point until then please check out all our resources on the imv imaging website i'll let the team say goodbye for themselves but for me thank you for tuning in and we'll see you next month Thank you. Thanks for listening. See you later. Goodbye, everybody.